You were listening to College Success Habits with Jesse Mogul, episode 117. Let's get to the show. Oh, this show's the best. The best show. Best show. Best show ever. Welcome to the College Success Habits Podcast. Do you want to triumph through school and have a little fun along the way? Learn habits to help you attain better productivity and hacks to help you slide through classes at any age. Here's your host, college circuit speaker, Jesse Mogul. Welcome back to College Success Habits. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and as always, it is an honor and a privilege to have you here. All right, all right, all right. It is nearing Thanksgiving. For those of you who are in your final pushes for this semester, I have no doubt that you are thoroughly pumped that this year is coming to a conclusion soon. Absolutely. For many of the states in this country, you guys are on full-fledged winter alert. Here it's coming. Thanksgiving is less than a month away. We all know as soon as Thanksgiving gets here, Christmas is just right around the corner. Hell, in many cases, some places are already celebrating Christmas with the decorations and everything that's going on. And so what we're going to discuss today has absolutely nothing to do with the holidays. We will jump into um, my philosophy on how the new year technically begins on December 1st and how the um, old year technically ends on February 1st, giving you a two-month window for the transition. We're going to dive into that as we near November, and we're really going to be looking to set you up for success moving into the new year. One of the things that I have noticed recently, um, because I just got back from a trip to Michigan where I was one of the leaders there teaching people how to speak on stage, harness the power of their voice to get their message across, to grow their business, or to spread um, inspiration, motivation, whatever it might be. One of the things that I noticed there besides the fact that it was already cold and leaves are gorgeous when they change, not something I normally see a lot in Southern California. One of the things I noticed when I was there was the propensity for a lot of these tiny universities and colleges. And and I was in the city of Grand Rapids. And so where I happened to be um, stationed at, the hotel, wasn't too far away from a lot of these colleges these little tiny, tinier campuses, no university you would have ever heard of. And my last day, I stayed at a friend's house, and we, in order to get our steps, you know, he is one of my mentors, as well as one of my clients. He's one of the guys I coach around physical fitness, and so I got him into my 10,000 or more steps a day um, club. And so in order to get our steps, he would take me for these beautiful walks to look at leaves and just enjoy the nature. And there's like four different colleges within a walking distance of his house. And when I'm there, people are bundled up and they're on campus. I realized that there was a lot of these little pockets where people were meeting and people were enjoying one another's company. Um, You know, COVID be damned. People were obviously, I'm sure, in their own world, in their own way, being safe. And that's not what this is about anyways. But they were gathered and they were enjoying each other and, and, you know, bundled up and staying warm. And I really started to notice the dynamics of the college environment at play. Um, It's been a couple years since I've been on a campus because of COVID. And so it was good to be reminded that when... The youth, and in many cases, I was noticing those that were outside of the traditional college age 
when they gather there, right, they form in clusters. You guys are you form in clusters like every everywhere. People form themselves up into clusters. They gather into groups. And when you gather yourself up into a group, there is going to then uh, form a group dynamic. And when you form this group dynamic at first, you then storm it together, right? People start to figure out the hierarchy. They start to figure out who's going to get along with who, how the group's going to be broken out. Then they, they you start to normalize the environment, and then you begin to perform. And so there's four steps of group growth and dynamics, and it's called uh, forming, storming, norming, and performing. And so write that down on one page. And so as I started to notice these different college groups, you know, walked on four different college campuses. And I started to to just be able to step back and notice how groups form, you know, then they storm together, meaning that, you know, people start to sort of elbow their way to figure out the hierarchy, who's going to be the leader, who's going to be the, the, you know, let's say secretary and who's going to be the treasurer. Like everyone takes in a position, obviously not those because, most groups, when they get together, aren't looking to take notes and collect dues. But there is a hierarchy that is formed. And then um, it normalizes. That's the norming stage. And then it gets into the performing stage. Once the group dynamics have been uh, figured out, then the group can begin to perform. And so this whole theme for today's is going to be on leadership. Because has someone who stepped into a leadership role at this conference, teaching people how to speak. I wasn't the lead, the lead uh, organizer of the event. I wasn't the lead speaker. I wasn't the main teacher, but I was one of his um, co-leaders. Right in this situation, he called us pod leaders because we ran little pockets of of pods, these little pods of people, six to seven people that we would guide through the public speaking. Um, you know, how do you create your origin story? How do you stand still? How do you use your hands and your motion and your body with intention? You know, how do you uh, fluctuate your voice so that, that people are more apt to lean in and listen at certain times, right? There, you'll notice that do that on the podcast. There's a fluctuation. Uh, there's a variations of the speed. And so as I'm guiding people through this, people are turning to me and they're looking to me for leadership. And when you're in a leadership role and people are turning to you looking for answers, oftentimes what you say literally becomes to them the gospel, the truth, the definitive answer to their question. You're the leader. They've been told you're the leader. They've watched you become the leader. In the forming and storming stages, you take on the leadership role. I take on that leadership role. And then as they begin to normalize, then they come to me and they ask me questions and I give them feedback and I guide them and they see their own performance improving. Then they're able to normalize the group dynamics of which I become the leader of, obviously, we've discussed that. And then from there, they go on and they begin to perform. So where is this going to be beneficial to you in your journey? There are a lot of times in your life where you are going to be put into a position of authority. And the way you wield that power that you've either earned or been given or taken, however that might have played out, that's not the point here. The way that you wield that power speaks volumes for your 
underlying character, for the values that are running your internal barometer, of your integrity, of your values, of your morals, of your ethics. It's extremely important that you realize that just because you have been donned with the leadership cap, that it doesn't mean that you can rule with an iron fist, that you're an authoritarian, that what you say goes. When I stepped into this leadership role, I very quickly took into account that while I am very good at public speaking and that I have taken on the teachings that my mentor taught me two and three years ago, and I've incorporated those into my life and I've taken them off and I've spoken on hundreds of stages and and helped thousands and thousands of people and have put out hundreds and hundreds of podcasts, it does not make me the definitive answer of all questions public speaking. That there's a level of humility that is necessary for a leader in order for them to make sure that they're taking in everything that is possible when decision time comes. Right, The most hubris of leaders you know, especially if you start to think about some of the military ones, you know, you could look back at, um, oh, what's the one, um, the Custard, Custard's Last Stand. I think he was a colonel. I think he was going after some Native Americans that did not turn out well, right? You have to assume that the man probably had some information that said, this could go sideways, but he forged on instead. We've seen countless stories within the Greeks and the Romans where a leader built upon their own hubris and their own egos, charged into battle just to find themselves defeated through slaughter. You see other leaders, you know, I recently watched a special on Netflix about the Ottoman Empire and how they took down the last uh, Roman Empire throne in Constantinople. And this was just in like 1432. It was merely 50 years before Columbus sailed the ocean blue. And regardless of what you might think about Columbus and ultimately what he did, and I've got some pretty strong opinions on it too, but this isn't the place to share those, to think that the Romans still had an empire going in the 15th century is mind-boggling. Right? They didn't still control Rome the way that they did, but they still very much were a, present, a presence on this planet all the way up till Western Europe sent out its first sailor to, to ultimately discover for Western Europe, the Americas. And that's not all that long ago. We're at 2100 now. You're looking at 600 some odd years. It's not long. So it's not hard to find a lot of stories where leadership, Columbus isn't too hard, <laughs> just brought him up, where leaders take on a level of authoritarianism and brutality. And history does not tell their story as happily as they would probably have preferred it to have been. Maybe when it first came out, but not so much, you know, once, I don't know, internet was invented. So I, I rattle on about some of these old leaders and, and, and the hubris they had, the ego that they allowed to drive them and the atrocities that they pushed, because in a much smaller scale, especially in college, you are going to be given a leadership role or have earned it or have been awarded it or however it turns out. And it is going to be up to you to decide how it is that you wield that power. How it is that you decide to listen to the opinions or the uh, questions or the answers that people on your team give you. There's a, some very valuable lessons I learned while I was in Grand Rapids, and I'm going to share those with you today because 
as I walked around those campuses and I noticed the forming and storming and norming and performing, uh, I happened to cross a dog park with my friend and we started watching the big dogs on the big dog side of the dog park do their own version of forming, storming, norming, and performing. And it was very interesting to watch the antagonistic dog. And we were both able to point out the antagonizer, the one who would be the problem child during the storming stage. And we were both right when we said, that's the dog that's going to get into a fight. It's nervous. It's excitable. It doesn't know how to control its emotions, and it's getting up in other dogs' faces, and it doesn't know when to stop. And sure enough, within five minutes, that dog pestered the wrong dog, and that dog went at him, and the other dog, just being full of energy and excitement and definitely some immaturity, you could tell it was young, but yet still, you know, 45 pounds, um, they ended up going at it. And, you know, luckily the humans were able to pull them apart. It was just fascinating to watch as dogs went through the the same group dynamics that humans go through. They're just doing it more with their physiology and the tone of their barking. They don't get the beauty of words. And even when humans use words, we're only using 7% of our communication to pay attention to words. The other 93% is our body language and our tone. So when I started to look at the way the college kids were forming on campus and look at the way these dogs went at each other in the park, I was able to look back at my time leading my pods and then leading the overall seminar as a whole when we got back together. And I started to really dive into my leadership skills. And I really started to take into account some of the ways that I had coached and trained and led and started to break down where I did well you know, the good parts of my coaching, where I could stretch and I could start to to learn new things and and be a different version of myself and and grow and evolve through the the participation in this event. And then overall, what did I do? You know, what would I do great? What was my overall score? How do I walk away from this event feeling about myself? And it's so important that you take on this level of self-awareness in your own life, that you're able to ask yourself some questions like, okay, when I did that, what was the psychology behind my behavior right there? There's a lot of things that I've done over the last couple months in my business, in my relationships, in my own personal life with myself, where I've increased my self-awareness and asked myself, am I happy with the way that I behaved? Am I happy with the way that I led myself or my relationships or my uh, tribe or the people on the podcast? Sometimes I walk away saying, I did a damn good job. I wouldn't have changed much of anything. Other times I walk away thinking, man, if I don't like the way doing that feels once, I am sure as hell not doing it again. And it does mean putting yourself out there for judgment. And it does mean putting yourself out there for rejection. And I know this for a fact because it's what happened to me this last week in Grand Rapids. So let's rattle through a couple of these real quick so that you guys have an idea of what you can expect when you take on leadership roles and some things that you can learn from my experience this week. First and foremost, the top thing that I learned is that I have to be willing to step into a space where I'm able to take criticism 
and not get offended by it. Now, what happened? And what, what do I mean by this? How do you take criticism and not get offended by it? Well, first and foremost, you choose every emotion that you feel. You choose to feel offended and thus have your feelings hurt, or you choose to take on the information and say, this is a learning opportunity and then to feel confident the next time this happens that you'll know a better way to perform. When I was giving feedback to the speakers, I tend to coach with a bit of a heavy hand, right? I'm not sitting here ready to listen to a bunch of excuses from you. I'm not going to sit here and let you tell me a bunch of stories about, well, this is why I did this, and this is why I did that, and, you know, because of this, and because of that, and because of this. And Great. Awesome. Spectacular. That's perfect for you. That's still not going to make you any better. Knowing what you just did and having had the experience, where do you see opportunities for you to perform better the next time that you're on stage? Right? There are certain ways that I phrase questions where I think I'm being gentle, but it can still come off a little bit harshly. So when the person comes to me and they say, you know, that hurt my feelings, when they go to one of the other organizers, the one of the other leaders and say, you know, I feel like Jesse's just, he's, he's, he's a little harsh, right? Other people in the pod, they did not think that it was harsh, but one person did. And that's all that matters because every person's feelings are valid. Whether you agree with them or not, if they're feeling them, then they're real to them. And while I didn't necessarily think that I had come off as harsh as this person had felt that I did, what was awesome for me to learn was that each person that you lead is going to need or desire a different strength from you as the leader. And it's important that you begin during the forming stage to build the trust and to learn from the people that you're leading how it is that they best are led. And I get that if this was the military, it'd be like, you're just going to listen to my orders and do whatever the hell I say. And yeah, in the military, that's the way that it goes because, you know, you bend rules and people could potentially die. So I absolutely get that. Right. This isn't necessarily telling you what, you know, a general tells, you know, a private, you know, go do this. And Well, sir, I don't necessarily enjoy being talked to that way. Water break. Thank you for letting me do that. Right. And the military is not looking for some private to tell a general <laughs> how exactly he wants to be led. And if you go off into the military, then right, then they'll they'll let you know how you you expect to be led. But when you're in a college environment, when you're in a work environment, when you're a, in your home environment, this isn't the military. Let's ease up a little bit. Understand that some people might like a little bit more direct, and other people might need a little bit of the kid gloves of the Papa Jesse, as the, as it, we we started to call it, the nurturing where you ask questions, you get more information from them about why it is they made that choice or decided about this or decided about that, right? There, there's a reason why people want to do a certain thing. And I have a ton of leadership knowledge when it comes to spiral dynamics or bank or disc or Meyer Briggs, right? Like I've taken on a ton of leadership courses to really learn why people do what it is they do and how it is that people want to be led. And it's from these experiences that I'm able to then draw upon when I'm in leadership. 
if you haven't necessarily taken all of these on yourself and learned all the different ways that you can begin to break out the certain personalities and figure it out, then the number one way is to just simply ask people, do you prefer more direct, right? Or would it is it you would you like a little bit more of a gentler approach? Right? Most people will tell you direct. And so it's very important that you notice when you start to push the boundaries of direct. It's like when you stretch a muscle. If I said touch your toes right now, and even if you could, you hadn't touched them in a while, the muscles are a little bit cold, you still stretch it. You stretch it to a certain point where it finally reaches a stretch where it's actually, you know, lengthening the muscle. And then you ease up a little bit and you let the blood rush back into the area. You let it warm up. You let it calm down and then you stretch it again. And if you continue doing that over the period of time, finally you can touch your toes. Humans are the same way. You can stretch them only so much and then you have to ease off and allow there to be the opportunity for them to take a breath, for them to calm down, for them to reel it in. And then you can push them again back into another stretch. So that was one of the first things I learned, is that some people want it direct and some people want it a little bit more passive, right? That you you take on leadership roles knowing that different personalities are going to want different things. And it's neither right nor wrong. As the leader, if you want to be an effective communicator and guider of people towards their ultimate vision, you want to know how to best serve them. You're going to want to know what kind of leadership style that they desire. Second thing I learned is, as a leader, nobody really cares if you're tired. I flew halfway across the country, went through three time zones. So when it was 8 a.m. there and we were starting, it was technically 5 a.m. for me. And when it's midnight and everyone's getting tired, it's technically 9 p.m. for me. My sleeping schedule was thrown off. I was all out of wax. I was all out of wax. I'm all out of whack. Right. I recently, you know, did some major shifting of my life and we'll go into that deeper in November into December. But a lot of things are very discombobulated in my life right now. My career, um, my relationships here in Los Angeles and within my own self, with my physical body, the transformation I've, I've taken on, you know, what it is I'm seeking to do with my career. There's a lot of changes going on and I'm very tired. I'm emotionally spent. There's not a lot left in the tank right now. And there hasn't been much in the tank pretty much since the end of August, beginning of September. I've been running myself on empty. And I very much am looking forward to that Thanksgiving to Christmas time where I can just ease up a little bit and just take a breath. Enjoy the holidays as much as I'm possibly going to be able to enjoy them considering. And again, later on. So as a leader, no one really cares that you're tired. You took on the leadership role, right? Walking in, being like, sorry, guys, I'm not the best I could be today. I'm just so tired. I didn't get a good night's sleep. My back's killing me. The hotel bed just sucks. You know, I'm just very emotional right now. I don't really think I can listen to you. I'm probably going to daydream while you're talking and speaking. And I know this is really important to you. And you've been thinking about this conference now for a year and a half. And due to COVID, it got pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. And you're here and you're so excited. But I mean, I might sort of kind of listen today. But really, I'm just going to just tune you all out and think about myself. No, (laughs) that does not fly. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. When you're the leader, 
You're the leader. You come walking in and you start telling people you're going to start taking it half-assed. What kind of production do you think you're going to get out of them? What kind of focus do you think that they're going to want to offer you? When you take on a leadership role, you've got to push through. You're Michael Jordan in the sixth game of the NBA playoffs and your stomach is killing you or, and you're vomiting because somebody poisoned your pizza the night before and you go out there and you hit all the game-winning shots. Right, You're Brett Favre and your father passes away and you make the choice to go back and play in the football game on Monday night, Packers versus Raiders, and you throw four touchdowns and you win the game. Right, If you're going to fly all the way back and take the field, no one wants to hear that you're not feeling it and your dad just died. You might play a little shitty and things aren't going to go very well. You, you chose to show up. Once you choose to show up, then you play all out. You, you take a job, you go into your job, you've committed to going into your job, and then you're going to go in there and you're going to complain the whole time, you're going to complain of your stomach ache, you're going to complain of a headache, you're going to give 50% of it, and you'll be like, oh, well, I can't give 100%, I don't feel well today. Then call in sick. But if you're going to clock in, you're going to play all out. If you're going to go to class, you're going to participate. You're going to stay awake. You're going to figure out a way to be involved or just get up and go home and get the notes from someone else. When you make the choice to show up, you're also making the choice to play all out, to give it 100%. Whether it's a two-hour class or a 14-hour day in a seminar hall, that's what you've chosen to do. You took it on. Nobody cares if you're not feeling 100%. I couldn't walk in there and say, hey, people, I'm just really emotional. A lot's going on in my life right now, and I just need everyone to be easing up on me. I'm going to go take a nap over here for like four hours. Good luck. That wasn't going to fly. And the third thing I took on is be a part of people's celebrations. Just because I don't necessarily think what the person just went through is cause for a celebration, I'm looking at it through my lens now. Right, Some of the things that I was watching people go through, I have already gone through 50 times, and now it's, it's more of a habit for me. It's something that I just take as like, well, yeah, of course that just happened. It was supposed to happen. I've done this 50 times. I know exactly what the pattern is. If we put all of these steps in order, this is the outcome we're going to get. What I needed to remind myself of is that there was a time where I was doing it for the first time. There was a time when I was doing it for the second or third time, and it still mesmerized me. Getting on stage, telling my origin story of a powerful moment, something that brought me great pain or trauma or power or relief or confidence in my life and how I've used that to fuel who I am today. That is a powerful, powerful thing to experience. And I have to put myself into a position where I can go back and say, where was I at this stage that they're currently at? Where was I then? And what was it I was feeling? Just because you have done an assignment 10 times over, just because you have mastered a certain talent, that's why you're the leader. You're the leader because not only have you mastered it in such a way that you can do it extremely well, you've mastered it in such a way that you can consciously teach it. When someone is unconsciously competent, and we've talked about this in a previous episode, when they just do something so well, they don't have to think about it. It does not necessarily mean that they're a good teacher. It does mean that they've learned it really well and they're good at doing it. 
But if they're so unconsciously competent that they can't break down the steps and then teach them in a, in a format that's simple to learn, then they're not a good teacher. You're not a good leader when you make something seem extremely complicated and then try to make your team feel stupid that they don't get it. The best teachers are the ones who can take the most complex topics and simplify them so anyone can learn. Right? It's like, how do you make an egg? Well, you put a frying pan on the burner, you turn the burner on, you put some sort of oil or butter in it so that the egg doesn't stick, you heat it up, you break an egg in there, you cook it up, you can either scramble it or flip it over, and now it's over easy to hard. Like that, It's pretty simple. Walk into a kitchen, I'll show you how to do it. Guaranteed you'll be able to nail that down after one or two tries. Now, if we want to get into poaching or we want to get into basting or we want to get into, you know, the the intricacies of, of a soft scrambled egg versus a hard scrambled egg, yes, it can certainly be made more complicated. And that's absolutely what you want to do with the person who's already mastered the more simpler aspects of cooking an egg. But you don't want to go to teach somebody how to cook an egg and immediately start teaching them the most complicated ways. Or as you're teaching them the simple way, flood their brain, their cerebral cortex with so much information about the various ways they could cook it that they can barely even pay attention to the way that you're currently showing them to cook it. Making something complicated doesn't make you more smart. It makes you a bad teacher. It's up to the communicator to make sure that their message is being received by the listener. It is not up to the listener to figure out how to decipher the code of the speaker. If you want to be a good leader, if you want to be a good coach, if you want to be somebody that people come to for answers, then you will master a way of taking something that seems complicated to everyone else and you simplify the learning process. I cannot speak highly enough about this. It was something that I noticed in myself that I did right out the gate. I would just break something down into two or three easy steps. And then as people began to master those two or three easy steps, I could slide in another step or two. And before they know it, they know a 12-step process to put together an origin story. But previously, if I'd have thrown all 12 steps out at them at once, they'd have been busy thinking about step nine when step nine is not even achievable. It's not even something worth thinking about until you have made it through step three. It's like you're wasting your, your brain capacity thinking about a step that, hasn't, that has no chance of coming up until you've gone through the other eight. It's like the fool thinks about the weather in Nebraska while they're driving through Arizona. The wise man is mindful of the scenery around him and is aware enough to be able to anticipate the next couple curves in the road. But he's not thinking about Nebraska when he's in Arizona. So now you have some really great ways to step into leadership. Understand that some people want it more direct and other people are looking for it a little bit more passive. Understand that no one cares that you're tired. Once you choose to take on a leadership role, you step into that and you play 100% all out. And then the third one is, is that you master a way of simplifying the complicated. I cannot say enough about that one. So there you go. These are some of the things that I learned about leadership in my conference recently. And we're going to be bringing you a lot more amazing topics like this because we're going to be seeking to up-level your life, not just in college, but in, but in the, the outer world beyond college. 
It's college success habits. It's also life success habits. It's success habits for every single stage of your growth and development, for every phase of your life. If you would like more hands-on approach or perhaps a group dynamic so you can start to dive into these topics with other like-minded people who are looking to up-level your life, go to Instagram at Jesse Mogul, DM me, let me know that you're interested. Me or my assistant Emily will be more than happy to jump on Instagram, send you over some messages, figure out what it is you're trying to achieve. And if we think you're a good fit, we'll get you on a complimentary call and we can see where to grow and develop you from there. We would absolutely love to hear more from you. Stand up, raise your hand, step forward. We will call on you. You can always email me, jesse at jessemogul.com. And again, Instagram at jessemogul. Literally, I'm the only Jesse Mogul on the planet. Every social media handle that I can be on, that I care to be on, is at jessemogul. Hell, I'm even on TikTok. I'm just now figuring that out. Really, I'm just now figuring out how to prioritize it because I got a lot going on. But damn, I love learning things on TikTok. So that's about it. You know, you know some really great ways to be a leader. Go out there, take on an amazing leadership role. It's almost the end of the semester. Crush it, rock it out, make it mean something to you. Inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. See you next week. Bye-bye. 